pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, we ask that you would take this service. We call this a worship service. Lord, that our singing would be acceptable, that we would sing in a way that would bring honor and glory to thy name. Lord, we pray for the special, the preaching, the offering, the time of invitation. Lord, that each part of this service would be centered around you and would draw us closer to you. We pray that our time in worship together as a church would affect the way we live in this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be dismissed, children, to the Children's Church. The rest of us, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're following the theme, just to give you a little update, the, uh, uh, the meeting at Heartland Baptist Bible College in Oklahoma City, the Home Missions Conference was just simply phenomenal. Uh, Andrew has ordered copies of the preaching. Um, Brother Gaddis preached a sermon Monday night that uh, everyone ought to ought to hear. And uh, then Brother Sam closed the service Thursday night by preaching on the 23rd Psalm uh, in a way that uh, I have never, ever heard the 23rd Psalm before. I mean, just... Uh, an unbelievable message, and uh, and uh, just to give you a little update, uh, we were able to give support to near uh, just uh, right around 30 different church planning operations here in the United States. Uh, I will tell you, if there's any encouragement, if there's any good news out there uh, for the United States of America, is that Good, solid, Bible-believing churches like this one are being started in many other places all over the country. And uh, we, we praise the Lord for that. And um, we were able to give this year in ways that we have not been able to give in uh, the last several years. And uh, a great deal of that has to do with the response to our missions conference in November. And uh, so we just want to praise the Lord uh, for those things. And, and uh, I, I am not afraid, and I don't think you should be either, to pray for a good economy. Amen? A uh, good economy means better jobs and better tithes. Amen? Uh, if it's, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive, and one of the great privileges of my life is to re- represent our church at this conference and uh, uh, because when we first started attending these conferences back in 1999, you know what? We were asking for help. And uh, now we're giving help. And so uh, we praise the Lord for that. And want you to pray for the college out there as they start the spring semester. And uh, Stephen, Lord willing, will graduate in, uh, in May. And uh, so just looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. And, and this morning as we go to Ephesians, we're going to continue following the theme here, the, the simplicity that is in Christ, the, uh, the childlike faith that God wants us to have. And uh, I, I do want to, to just simply say, once again, the greatest privilege of my life has been to be the pastor of this church. That is where my effort has gone. I am uh, uh, 54 years old, and I've been the pastor of this church over 26 years. So you know, just do, uh, do the math. And uh, uh, the several years before uh, we actually started the church were spent in preparation to to start this church. And uh, uh, the the point that I'm trying to simply make is that I I believe my life has been well invested in starting one church, in seeing this church established now. Guess what? It is the most wonderful part to see our church reach out and all of the miracles that God did so that Open Door Bible Baptist Church could be established. I'm glad that's not the end of our story. 
Uh, I'm glad that we've got a lot of miracles to talk about at the Union Baptist Church in Greenpoint. Amen? And uh, we're looking forward. Brother Franz, I don't know if we got to announce. I think I put it in the praise list last Sunday night. Brother Franz had 25 people last Sunday morning. Uh, that's something to praise the Lord about there at Morris Park. And uh, we're seeing some good things happen at Community Baptist in Riverhead. But But our goal is to bring those churches to the point to where they don't need our help anymore. Because we've got some other people that want to go out and start other churches. Amen? And we want to see the Lord do His work. If we're going to follow God as dear children, if we're going to be converted and become as the little children that Jesus Christ has asked, we're going to have to follow the pattern that is in the Scripture. Brother Gaddis' sermon was just wonderful. He talked about the uh, uh, guard that marches at the tomb of the unknowns there in uh, the National Cemetery in Arlington, Virginia, and, and the commands. And I, I wish my mind was sharp enough to remember the exact words, but when the uh, soldier who is marching his time as guard in front of the tomb of the unknowns is finished, he reports to the commanding officer that everything is just the way it was when he started. And the guard that takes his position responds in such a way to let it be known that he will follow the exact same orders that were given to the soldier that he is relieving. I'll tell you what, that's what we're trying to do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Open Door Bible Baptist Church is not an anomaly. It is not a new thing. We talk about our church only being 26 years old. But the pattern that our church is established from uh, is much, much older than that. We came from the Cleveland Baptist Church. It was started in 1958 by Roy Thompson in Cleveland, Ohio. But the pattern goes on many, many years before that. In fact, the pattern is the same one that comes from the Bible. We're not trying to have a 21st century church. What we're trying to do is obey the commands that were given to the church in the first century in the 21st century. Amen? And that does not mean that uh, uh, we cannot use electric lights because they weren't invented and we can't use computers and we can't uh, uh, print things out and, and use uh, modern technology, but our technology is servant to our theology. Amen? The, our technology is good as long as it doesn't violate... What is in the Scripture? You know, a lot of people, they want to attend the Internet church. And I'll I'll tell you what, you can find all kinds. How many of you have heard of Presbyterianism? It was a new religion. It's an Internet religion. It only exists on the Internet. And, And it's a group of people who have chosen to worship Elvis Presley. Hence the name Presbyterianism. And so they gather in a chat room... And they play Elvis songs and they uh, chat back and forth about how great he was. Uh, now, that, that is a matter of opinion in my, uh, my opinion, if I'm allowed to have one. Amen. He may have been the king of rock and roll, but I'll tell you what, I don't think there's a person in here that want to pattern their life after Elvis Presley. It's a sad story. Tragic story. He had no friends. He had no one that he could really put trust in and have fellowship with. And guess what? You remember this church? You know that you can have fellowship. You can trust people. You can be friends with the people who are uh, here. And we serve the Lord together and we accomplish some fantastic things. And uh, next Sunday night is our annual business meeting. And we'll be talking and reviewing some of those things that the Lord has done. And 
We'll also be talking about some of the things that we need to see the Lord to do. We don't want the miracles to end on 35th Street, amen? Uh, we want to go forward. And here in our text is the pattern. And this morning, what I would like to do is just simply preach on the work of the pastor. What's my job? What am I supposed to do? Why am I here yelling at you for an hour every Sunday morning for the last 26 years? Amen? Uh, Well, we'll pray that it's more than just raising the voice, that it is the preaching of God's Word. And we're going to start reading in chapter 4, the book of Ephesians, verse 11. It says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working In the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is the pattern of the church. It says, and he gave some. We we alluded a little bit to this in the Sunday school lesson as we talked about Saul of Tarsus. Uh, Becoming in that process of becoming the man that we know as the Apostle Paul. That, uh, uh, and it says first here, and he gave some apostles. And we gave, I gave just a few of those requirements. An apostle is someone personally called by the Lord Jesus. Someone that was an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. That's why Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. How else could he be an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord if the Lord did not? appear to him. How could he fit in? He talks about himself as being one born out of due time. He was not with those that followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. He came afterwards, yet he was personally trained by the Lord Jesus. And hence, we have no apostles today. Every once in a while, I walk past church and I'll see a sign that says, Apostle, and it will have the name there. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses claim to have a council of apostles uh, that meet at the Watchtower Track and Bible Society. I'm not sure if they're still in Brooklyn or if they've moved the whole thing to upstate New York, but really doesn't matter. The Mormon Church also claims to have apostles uh, that give them final truth and are able to rule on changes that need to be made. I'm here to tell you, that the doctrine of this book called the Bible is sufficient today, that we do not need to change any doctrine whatsoever. Uh, The Pope made an edict in the 14 and 1500s that since uh, the climate of Europe was so cold in the wintertime and anybody taking a bath in the wintertime would die, that God didn't want people to die to get baptized so that sprinkling a little water on the head uh, of an infant would suffice for baptism. We're going to change the Bible to fit our society. Uh, you know, Baptists have always been very simple people. And uh, if you're supposed to be baptized, by the way, it's not taking a bath. It's being baptized, amen, immersed in water. Uh, why couldn't you just heat up the water, Amen. Uh, we, we put a tank inside so that we don't baptize people in the polluted waters of the rivers that uh, uh, flow through our beloved city. Uh, 
Why can't we put a little common sense? Years ago, someone was trying to explain to me the virtues of the religion of Islam. And and, uh, he talked about a man that was walking with his son and he saw a little boy that had no shoes and had no father. So he took the shoes off of his son and he gave it to the little boy that had no father and had no shoes. And that's supposed to be virtuous. You know what the Bible says? It says if a man does not provide for his own family, he's worse than an infidel and hath denied the faith. You know what the Bible tells us to do when we see a need like that and we want to meet it? We go out and buy another pair of shoes for the other kid. Amen? Is that so complicated? We do not make our children starve so someone else can be fed. You see, man can only accomplish so much. But God can do anything. Are we, are we together this morning here? It says, and he gave some apostles. We have no apostles today. We do not need apostles. There's no decisions that need to be made to change and alter doctrine to fit our society. What we are trying to do is ask those members of our society to leave it, embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, and allow their lives to be conformed to the words of this book. We have no need of prophets today in the fullest sense of the word. There are prophets in the Old Testament. They were the foretellers of future events. And God's standard for a prophet was that if he said something and it didn't come to pass... If he spoke in the name of the Lord, and it didn't happen, he was to pay for that with his life. The most accurate, quote-unquote, prophet, uh, Nostradamus, I think, was somewhere around 14% accurate in his prophecies. He's just 86% short of God's standard, of God's prophecy. So what do we do with Nostradamus? Exactly what we do with everybody else's book. It gets left on the shelf. I don't need what he has. What I do need is what this book says. I do not need to see into the future. The book of Revelation does a pretty good job. And if that's not enough to scare you out of your wits, I don't know what is. Uh, the simple truth of the matter is, I'm glad that God withholds from me the knowledge of things that happen in the future, that we can trust Him day by day. The next is evangelists. Evangelists are very simple. They are people who take the gospel... To the place where there is none. In 1992, I played the part of an evangelist. I moved my family here to to Astoria, Queens, and we started the Open Door Bible Baptist Church of Astoria. We asked God, according to Revelation 3:8, that He would open a door for us to minister in this neighborhood. We got three of them out front. Amen. Praise the Lord. We thank the Lord for what He has done. That's where we get the name Open Door. Someone says, well, a name like Open Door, you mean that anybody can come in. That's exactly correct. But don't forget the rest of the name. It's Bible Baptist Church. The doors are open to anyone, but if you want to be a part, we're going to ask you to conform to the pattern that's in God's Word. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want you to make the same decision that I made. As a sophomore in Bible college, I did not grow up in a Baptist church. I did not understand simple Bible doctrine and and I have to be honest, there's a lot of things in my Bible college that didn't make that any easier. 
It was afterwards when I got traveling with Brother Clayton and under the ministry of my pastor, Roy Thompson, that I saw how simple the pattern of Scripture was. We support somewhere around 70, 72, three missionaries and missionary projects. Those are evangelists. They taking the gospel to the places where there is not. They're starting churches where there are none. That is the work of the evangelist. The last one that's left is pastor teacher. These are the people that God has given to the church. The prophets, their words are recorded in the scripture. The apostles, many of them were the authors of our New Testament. Their work is finished. Because we're not changing one word in this book. The work of the evangelist is continual. And the work of the pastor and teacher. And that's what I'd like to talk about today. Here's what these, here's what we're supposed to do. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, For the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, I want to challenge you that if you read any commentary on the book of Ephesians, they're going to talk about chapter 4 being one of the most difficult and complex chapters in the entire Bible. They they will uh, uh, argue about all the different philosophies of churches and all the different kinds of things that have happened and all the offices and hierarchies and denominationalisms and history and church councils and... Can we just put all that stuff on the same shelf as Mr. Nostradamus? Because the best that man can do is full of errors. You see, it says for the perfecting of the saints. How many of you have ever put a puzzle together? Two, three, four. Okay. I know there's more than that. What is the first thing you do when you put a puzzle together? You look at the picture on the front of the box. Now, isn't that true? Some of you are going to say, no, you get all the square pieces out and put them, the ones with the flat edges, you put them in one pile. No, that's the second thing you do. The first thing you do is you look at the picture. If you don't like the picture, do you buy the puzzle in the first place? Well, somebody bought it for you, right? Um, but normally, you, you get a puzzle, you like the picture, and you say, I want to put that together. Someone years and years ago, my wife will remember, got us a puzzle. It was like a thousand-piece puzzle of candy. And so it had rock candy and, and uh, gumdrops and all this. And, and I'll tell you, every piece looked just like the one next to it. It was one of the most confusing puzzles I have ever seen. Oh, did we have fun putting that together. And and I mean in a positive sense. I mean, it was a lot of, wow, no, it fits here. No, no, you're pressing the piece in too hard. It doesn't fit there. And we had the little ones helping us, and they're all big now. But I'll tell you what, there wasn't a time that we got that puzzle out to work that we didn't have the picture of the puzzle sitting right there. You know why? Because when we got done, we wanted the puzzle to look like the picture on the box. Because that was the pattern. That's what it's supposed to look like. When the puzzle was perfect, all of the pieces fit together and it looked like the picture on the box. You say, Pastor, that's not new. Uh, why are you spending so much effort here? Is because there are so many people that look at the picture on the box, in the book, and they put all the pieces together, and what they get doesn't look anything like this. And see what we've done? See what a great job we did? Isn't that great? No, it's not odd at all. I've been accused of being narrow-minded. As a dear friend of mine who's now with the Lord said, thank you very much. You see, I want to be narrow-minded. Because my job as a preacher 
is the perfecting of the saints. Now, if I'm going to do what the Bible says, if I am going to preach to you in a way that is going to help you be perfected or to grow in Christ, guess what? I have to look at the pattern that is here so that my preaching will cause you to want to be what the Bible says a Christian ought to be. I I don't have a right to change things in this book. Uh, We're not going to modify the Word of God to make it easier for you. You say, but you you might lose a lot of people. Oh, let me tell you, we have over the years. And I'll tell you this, it's the same thing I tell all the young preacher boys that I get a chance to influence. And If you ever stop crying when they leave, something's wrong with you. But if you compromise the Word of God so that people will stay in the church, there's a whole lot more wrong with you. Are we together on that? I don't want anyone to leave. I can't tell you how many people have walked through these doors. So, Pastor, we'd like to become a member of church. And I'll look on the visitor card and... His last name is something, and her last name is something else, and they both have the same address and the same apartment number. And uh, what what's happening here? Oh, we're just waiting. Uh, we're already engaged. We're just waiting until we have enough money to get married. Then we'll get married. I said, you know, that's not the Bible pattern. In fact, if you wait until you have enough money to get married and have kids. You'll never do it. You've got to follow the Bible pattern. In fact, I had one couple, they said, Well, preacher, you know, we wouldn't respect you as a man of God if you'd have told us anything else. Wonderful. When are you going to get married? Oh, we're not going to. Uh, wait a minute, let's, let's back up here. You respect me as a man of God because I have told you the pattern and we cannot allow you to become a member of the church until you're willing to follow the Bible pattern, but you're not going to follow the Bible pattern. No, sir, we're not. What do you say to someone like that? Well, I mean, the doors are open. We're not going to tell you you can't come and attend the services, but you can't become a member. You can't serve the Lord together because... You're not following. Are you together? You see, if my job is to preach in a way and teach in a way for the perfecting of the saints, how else can I say it? That demands the pastor to stand here and say, you're wrong. And if you want to get right... Here's how you do it. And if you think I enjoy that, uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to answer you. Because I don't. I just have a duty to do as a pastor. And, and it is to point out error. And some of that error is going to end up in your life. Some of it ends up in my life. That's why... As a church, I've told you for years, I need to be able to go to these conferences. As a younger pastor, I needed the encouragement. As an older pastor, I still need that same encouragement from other preachers. I need that rebuke from other preachers. And I will tell you, I really got worked over at this meeting. And that's a good thing. Because... If I'm not careful in my duty and my challenge to try to perfect the saints that are here, I can go astray. That's what Paul said, that lest I myself should be a castaway. And so what works for you works for the preacher. 
It is seeing things. It demands correction. It demands pointing out error. It, it demands an exhortation. If I just got up here and said, you know, if you're saved, you need to be baptized. People okay. I say, if you're going to serve God with your life, you cannot do so without the context of a local church. And you cannot become a member of church without Bible baptism. Bible baptism is essential to your service for God. It is your birth certificate. It is the public testimony of your private prayer to God that ask God to give His saving grace to you. Amen? No one saw, no one can see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Years ago when I was just young in the ministry and still in Bible college actually, they wrote a lot of books about lifestyle evangelism. You know, and I began to think, well listen, yes, yes, that that is so right. You must live you must practice what you preach. The Bible says that, doesn't it? But if you don't tell people the reason why, you just stand in line with all the other weirdos that make up our wonderful little city. Amen? Are we together on that? I mean, there's a lot of weird people in this city doing a lot of weird stuff. You want to just stand in line as another weirdo? Or do you want to tell them, I'm a weirdo for Jesus Christ. The reason I do the things I do is because I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and I gave public testimony of that. And I am a functioning member of a local assembly. I've had people say, well, well we're, yeah, I'm a member of that church. And I'm going, I'm the pastor. I keep the membership records. Your name's not on there. No. Well, well, I've been going there. Well, yeah, coming and attending is one thing. But becoming a member is a different thing. It requires a public commitment. That's what baptism is all about. Without a public testimony of faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot be a member of the church. This is the biblical pattern. That's why Jesus walked 60 miles to find a guy named John. Because there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And Jesus took that commission and gave it to the church in Matthew 28. You see, the, the work of a pastor is for the perfecting of the saints. Is that complicated? Does anybody have a problem with that? Do we, do we need to look that up in a dictionary and examine it any further? Or would you join me and say... I think I got a pretty good list of what needs to be changed in my life so that I could be the kind of saint that God wants me to. I mean, that's where my hand is. Uh, I I I still got things to change. How about you? And what we're going to keep doing is trying to preach what the Bible says so that we can work, so that we can put those pieces that are missing in my life. What's the second part here? It's a perfect outline. If you were to look at my notes, my notes are just the verses in the Scripture. Uh, the wording is there. For the work for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry. Often we are called ministers. I knew a preacher many years ago. He was traveling to India. And he was trying to figure out what to put on his application for a visa. And, and so he thought of the most formal term that he could think of to being a pastor, and so he wrote down the word minister. Well, in English, the word minister in political has a political meaning. Uh, in uh, England, you have the minister of the interior, and you have the minister of justice, and you have the... And so, when the people there that read his visa saw minister, they thought that he was a very important political figure and leader. And so, he said, man, I got the red carpet treatment. If you ever go to India, don't write pastor. Put minister on your application. He said, they'll treat you like you're somebody important. But what does the word ministry really mean? Servant. 
means a server. The work of the ministry. What is the ministry? We are supposed to serve the world in which we live. Do you know that most people do not want what the Bible has to offer? Is that true? Jesus said, broad is the way, wide is the gate, the lead, under the shrub. Many be that go in there at. But, but our job is to serve. Our job is to bring the gospel to those who don't want it. You know what? We're not God. We cannot see the hearts of people. In our wonderful city, people do not, will not, for the most part, take the time to talk to someone they've never met before about something very important in their life. By the way, you know that holds up pretty well true in rural America as well. How do we get into someone's life to give them the gospel? I'll tell you one of the best ways is people you work with, family members that you know. The cold call evangelism, we call it, just passing out tracts on the street, that is the least effective. We're never going to stop it by God's grace. But the most effective means of evangelism, the most effective ministry of the church is to take the gospel to people that God has already put in our path. And we need to do that. That is the ministry. But the ministry also says that we're to go forth to the uttermost parts. We're to be witnesses of Him. That's why we give to missions. That's why I encourage you. Uh, to be a participant in the missions program of our church. We were able to take just short of $9,000 to the home missions conference. You know what? I could have given out twice that much. Always. The need will always be more. I'm rejoicing. I'll tell you what. Yeah. I enjoy Christmas, I love Christmas, but the real, the real Christmas for me is being able to stand up $500 instead of $100. Let, let's help these people in a serious way. You know what? I, I am so glad that you as a church allow me. I mean, that is the most fun I have all year, is giving away your money. And I'm not a Democrat, all right? Uh, we're, we're, we're trying to help other churches that cannot help themselves. But I'll tell you one of the greatest blessings this time around. There were several men there that had started churches, established them, turned them over to pastors. And the pastors that they had turned their church over with were there giving smaller amounts, of course. And they were out starting another church. How can you not help but want to help somebody like that? Amen? And, by the way, does that sound like ministry? Well, I guess it is. You see, for the work of the ministry, taking the gospel to the area in which we live, taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's not very complicated. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, that's why we have different services. Our Sunday morning service is a challenge time uh, to ask God to work in your heart. Sunday night is more uh, 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 of a practical lesson. We're going through the Gospels. A lot of times people say, well, listen, there's so many contradictions in the Gospels. Really? I've been studying that for a long time. I've never found one. But if you'll come on Sunday nights, we're going to go the whole way through all four Gospels, and we're going to put the Scripture in order, and we're going to uh, find out that there are no contradictions. Thursday night, we just started a series on dispensationalism. Oh, I love big words. You know what dispensationalism is? It's just a method of Bible study. 
that will help you keep a consistent, literal hermeneutic or understanding of your scripture. No other system of Bible study offers the ability to keep a literal, non-conflicting understanding of our Bible from cover to cover. The work of the ministry, it demands direction, it demands instruction. The work of the ministry says that there are things that we ought to do that are definable, that we can look at, we can measure ourselves with and say, hey, this is what we're supposed to do as a church. Can we say amen to that? Now, what's the third one? (coughs) Excuse me. The edifying of the body of Christ. The word edify means to build. If you understand your Bible, the body is the church. Uh, there are many people that talk about this body of Christ that stretches all over uh, the world and all denominations. And I promise you, you cannot find such a body anywhere. A body is a collection of cells assembled and living. If uh, My favorite little quip is, if you have all the body parts in a room and they're not connected to each other, what do you have? An autopsy. Isn't that correct? I don't know of anything else that you could have if you have all the body parts in the room and they're not connected to each other. That's an autopsy. If you have all the parts of the body connected and there's no life, that's called the morgue or a funeral. And there are times to do that. We should commemorate those that have gone on and we should deal with our grief and all of those things. But the church is not dead. It's alive. It's a living body responsible directly to Jesus Christ. There is no other church. Then a local living assembly. How could you have a context for your Christianity if it's a dead body? Well, then your Christianity would be dead right too. But if you have a living relationship with the living Lord, you've got to function in the living body of the local church. The edifying of the body of Christ You know what? Each year at our annual business meeting, we get out some statistics and we we measure ourselves. Are we doing as much as we did the year before? There have been several times, and this year is one of them. Our, Our attendance is down. I'd like to see it higher, wouldn't you? But I'll tell you, the work that we have been doing is multiplied. So, what are we going to do? Uh, we're going to work harder on that attendance thing. You know, that's the edifying of the body of Christ. You know, last year, don't raise your hand, but many of us made a promise to ask God to give us one person to bring into the fellowship of this church. That didn't happen very much. So what do we do? We say, dear Lord, what can you change in my life so that you could accomplish that in this coming year? You see, that's building. We can get all upset and discouraged if we want to, but I'll tell you, there's no reason for that. Because the body is not ours, it belongs to Jesus. And we are supposed to do the work. Pastor is to lead the people into the edifying of the body of Christ. That means we want to see more people come. But we're not going to compromise the perfecting of the saints. I'm trying to teach this at the church out in Riverhead, a community, because... They had a, a, a Bible church, past, retired Bible church pastor in there all summer, and, and, and he really 
turned off the light on a lot of true things from the Bible and was preaching about this universal invisible thing. And God gave me an excellent illustration. How many of you have ever added mass to your body unwillingly? It's called a splinter. (sighs) Right under the fingernail. Anybody ever done that? Oh, I mean, that just makes me shiver thinking about it. You know, there are ways to add mass to your body that just really aren't very comfortable. And if you don't remove them, they'll bring infection and other things like that. But there are ways to grow in a proper and true and honest way. Amen? We want little children to grow. That's one of the neatest things. Do you realize that you grew more from your first, from the day you were born to your first birthday? You grew more than you will ever grow again in your entire life. You, most children, a healthy baby will at least double his or her birth weight in the first year. Could you imagine doing that today? That'd be a terrifying thought now, wouldn't it? Uh, when you're 14, you're not going to double your, your your weight again, I hope, and pray. That, that would not be healthy. But the simple truth is we're supposed to grow spiritually and physically. Sometimes uh, I, I've gotten uh, just a little discouraged. I mean, I, I'm sitting there working on things and and, and but you know. It's the pastor's job to help build the church. Jesus has to build it. He's the one that does the changing in lives. But sometimes you've got to get out your tool belt and your work clothes. Well, not sometimes. A lot of times. Amen? And I'll tell you, our church wouldn't be here today if we didn't just get out and do some of that work ourselves. We would not have the money to put into missions if we were paying a million-dollar mortgage. And it would have cost us well over that to hire out the renovations that we did most of them ourselves. Hey, edifying the body of Christ sometimes means physical labor. That's not a problem. If you're doing it for the right reasons. Amen. And we are, that is the work of the pastor. Now, here's what's supposed to happen. Look at the next verse. Till we all come... In the unity of the faith. I've been told by some, you believe it's your way or the highway. Well, it says right here, till we all come in the unity of the faith. What does that mean? We're all supposed to believe the same thing. Not mind-numb robots. But we're to follow the pattern. One of the reasons I love Heartland Baptist Bible College. And and, uh, we fellowship the new uh, Baptist Times. And I would encourage you, one per family, if you would, take take that article. Uh, those, Those books that are there, the magazines that are there, are not just to make the visitor table look pretty. They're for you to take it home. And I'll promise you... To sit down and read. How many of you have ever tried to read the Global Independent Baptist Times? Uh, It takes a little bit of effort, doesn't it? You know why? Because there's actually information in there that's going to make you stop and think. Uh, That's a good thing. Uh, Unity of the faith. One of the reasons I put it there is so you can know that our church is not the only church. Your pastor is not the only crazy guy who believes these things. There are hundreds of us all over the country and thousands all over the world. And if we want to go down through history, we can do the same thing. We want to follow in the unity of the faith. That is the result. My job is to convince you that what this Bible says is true. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. We don't have time to go to Second Peter chapter 1, but you're to add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And it goes through that whole list of things. 
If you're going to have the knowledge of the Son of God, here's what's going to happen. The measure, the measure is going to be Jesus Christ. I've met a lot of people that have thought a lot of themselves and of their Christianity. You know what that's called? P-R-I-D-E. The greatest sin in the Scripture. When we measure ourselves, we're not to measure ourselves by other people in this auditorium. You know, that'd be pretty advantageous for me. I'm full-time in the ministry. I've got my whole life devoted to serving the Lord. I can measure myself by everybody here. Boy, I'm going to come out looking pretty good. But if I get out the real yardstick, Jesus Christ, guess what? I don't measure up very well. How about you? Would anybody here stand up and say, I'm like Jesus, I'm so much like Jesus, you couldn't tell the difference. We have counseling for people like that, amen? I'm glad to spend the time, if you listen, because you've got a lot of things to learn. The measure is Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. You see, the practical application of this unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, growing up unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of Christ, is number one, we are to be like little children, but we're not to be childish. It's easy to trick a little child. That's why we like magic shows. And that's really not the proper term. They should be called illusion shows. Because when the guy puts up the silver dollar and makes it disappear, it's there somewhere. He didn't make it disappear. The matter has not gone anywhere. It's just that he has drawn your attention to something else and you cannot see the coin that is stuck between his fingers or whatever they do. Uh, when he pulls the rabbit out of the hat, that rabbit doesn't live in the hat. Sorry to burst your bubble there. Uh, rabbits need grass and water and all those things, and they have a little cage they keep them in. But during the magic trick, he, he makes that happen. Several of the preachers talked about all the different programs and isms and schisms that have developed over the years. You know, I'm telling you that as the pastor of this church, one of my duties is to keep us out of programs. We're we're not following fads. We're trying to follow the Scriptures. We're trying to do what the Bible says. Back in the 70s, every church that was a church, that believed that they were a church, they had two things. They had buses to go around and pick people up, and they had a Christian school. Now, the problem is, we've got a whole city full of buses and subways and all of that thing. And if you, you can't get to church, we'll, we'll help you get to church. But nine times out of ten, if you can't make it to church, it's because you've chosen something else more important than your church. It really is. Christian schools... I'm a product of a Christian school. And I watched many parents advocate their authority as parents and give it to the pastor. That's not the job of the church. Parents raise children, not churches. Churches raise parents. Amen? That's the job of the church. To give us an understanding of what we ought to do in our personal life and give us the wherewithal to get it done. Do not let the public school system raise your kids. One of the reasons we did homeschool and still do our children 
is because I don't want to take the time to unteach all of the garbage that they're going to get in the public school from the teachers and from the curriculum. And there are so many things they're going to get from their friends and peers that I can't unteach. Is homeschooling the easy way out? No, it's the hard way. But it is the only real option if you're going to take your responsibility as a parent seriously. Fulfill these things. You see, so many churches got so busy with schools. And I wish I had time this morning to chase this whole thing out. The heroes before the Christian school movement were the evangelists, were the missionaries. Everybody wanted to be a missionary. That would be such a good thing if that were true today. But you know who my heroes were in the Christian school? It was the Christian businessman that came in and gave us uniforms for our basketball team. And it was the lawyers that talked about how they were fighting for all of our freedoms. I'll tell you what, we have less freedom today than we did when I was a student in high school. And we have more lawyers out there fighting for our freedoms than ever before. And we're losing them faster than we ever could thought possible. Because that's not the answer. The answer is more churches in this country and more churches in the world in which we live. You know, it's, it's just so childishly simple. Do not just jump on the bandwagon. Christian radio. Oh, that, we're going to win the world. We're going to go places where everybody can't go. Nothing replaces one Christian taking the gospel to someone who is not. And that's done face to face. Nothing can replace the pattern that's in our Bible. You see, we need to be as children, but we've got to stop being childish. The, vo- the world is full of voices, but there's only one that is the way, the truth, and the life. Can you say amen to that? The Bible says, speaking the truth in love. Verse 15. Now, I hope you understand the things that I've said is because I care about the people that are sitting in this auditorium this morning. You cannot improve on the Scriptures. You cannot do anything better with your life than to be obedient to what is in this book. Well, that's not very realistic living in the first century in the 21st century. Well, look around you. How's that working for uh, all these guys that are out there? I'll tell you what. I'll take this pattern off, off over theirs any day. How about you? Speaking the truth in love that we may grow up. How many of you can stop and look in your own life and see how you have grown in the Word of God since you started coming to this church? How you have learned some things. How, how you look at things differently than you did before. Hey, that's what preacher's for. But realize there's, there's some more work to do in all of our lives. Amen? You see, it says, From whom the whole body fitly joined in together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I will tell you, when our church started... Everything that happened in the church was my responsibility. You know why? Because there wasn't anybody else to do anything else. But then we got a few members. By the way, pray for Ken McAvoy. He is really, uh, has been critically ill for several months now. And they just can't figure it out. He was our first member. He's been in the hospital and for several weeks now. Just, just pray for Brother Ken if you would. 
But I remember they came alongside and all of a sudden we didn't have to do so much of everything anymore. And other, I could tell you stories, but I don't want to embarrass people that are in here today. I think Brother Franz put it very eloquently. I was told Thursday night, he said, Pastor used to say just showing up was important. I never figured that out until I was the pastor wanting people to show up at church. Now I see how important it is. Hello. Hello. You see, if everything depends on me, we can only go so far as a church. We've got to grow some people up who are going to start taking responsibility. I thank the Lord for our trustees that help. I thank the Lord for different people who do different things in our church. I thank the Lord for everyone that gives so that we can uh, pay a part-time salary to uh, Philip to keep the building clean. Uh, This morning as I got up, I looked out the window and somebody had emptied the trash out of their car right in front of the church. I'm sitting there going, Hey, Philip, before you put your suit on, would you mind going down there and cleaning that up? Oh, you know what? And I don't know how cheerfully he did it, but he did it. Because I asked him to. Not because he's getting paid for it. He's not on the clock. Because he wants to be a help. You know what? That's a good thing. You see... That's what we're trying to do. Now, I got through three of the four points of this morning's sermon, and I'm going to stop right here. But I want you to understand something. As a pastor, I have duties to do that are outlined in this book called the Bible. And you know what the hardest thing in the world is? Is to stand and preach, especially a sermon like this one, See all the heads go up and down, and yet no, some people aren't going to do a blessed thing about anything that was preached about here this morning. Praise God, there are going to be others that are. You see, when our church starts building itself, when other people get a hold of the unity of the faith, of speaking the truth, In love. And by the way, we've had an awful lot of people over the years that have spoken the truth, but there was no love attached to it. And it caused division and strife in our church and a lot of frustration. And and, uh, I'm I'm praying that we put some of that behind us, but because we have people, it'll never be completely behind us. But if we'll allow ourselves to grow, if we'll take direction, We're going to see some perfecting. We're going to see some of that growing. And we're going to have more than just a few of us doing that work of edifying the body. And when that starts happening, we'll see some of that growth we've been praying for. But it won't be just because we started a new program or we entice some people from other churches. That's not our goal. We need to see people get saved. Amen? We need to see people surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to see people who are saved get baptized and identify publicly with the Lord and with this church and say, hey, I'm going to plant myself here. Being a member is not just showing up. But if you don't show up, you're never going to get to the rest of it. And you see... We've got some things going on. We've got a ladies' meeting coming up Friday night. Do you know those ladies' meetings are absolutely important? There's a lot of things that need to be taught that are best taught in the privacy of a ladies' meeting. Ladies, would you say amen to that? Men, same thing's true of our prayer breakfast. Same thing's true of our prayer meetings on Sunday morning. You say, but all you do is give prayer requests and pray. Why? Well, I, I haven't figured out a better recipe than that for praying. If, if, you, if you have, please see me afterwards. But that's the only one I can find in the Bible. And I'll tell you what, men, we need you to be here at 10 till 10 to pray on Sunday morning for the morning service. It makes a difference. It makes all the difference in the world. When people 
start taking on that responsibility, it makes things happen the Bible way. We've got spring revival coming up. I'm excited. Brother Sam Davidson's going to be with us. That's the weekend up until including Father's Day. Brother Sam's going to be with us. He's going to be preaching Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We're also going to have the MRI East where we invite area pastors to come in. And Brother Sam's going to speak to them in the Thursday afternoon, Friday morning. Before you know it, it'll be time for missions conference again next November. Wow. You know what? We get involved where God has us. We're going to see some growth. But if I happen to point out some things that need perfecting, just realize I'm trying to do my job. Amen? Uh, we're, we're trying to see this church edified and built, and we are, by God's grace, trying to accomplish the work of the ministry. That can't help happen until other people get on board and we start working together in the unity of the faith, speaking the truth in love, growing together into Jesus Christ that we can edify our church. Our church will edify itself. That's how we're going to get what we need to help other churches. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, I just ask that you would help us as a church to understand there is a duty. There are things that each one of us need to do. And Lord, there, there's already a set pattern. We cannot improve upon that pattern, nor would we wish to, because any improvement that we might make would not be improvement at all. It would be a disfigurement. Lord, we ask that you would work in hearts and lives and you would help us to understand what is in your word. And that we would encourage ourselves in obedience to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation 301. Let's not even sing those words this morning. If God has spoken to your heart, would you just step out of your seat and let's spend some time at an old-fashioned altar. We won't ask you to be a member of the church except that you would come and let us know.